Hi, my name is Flip Awesome Aguilera, and welcome to Wait, the show where I find interesting people just like you and discover what's going on between their ears. Now, let's get to know one another. What's good, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Wait. We got a special episode today. We got a round table. We got the melanin movers and the Israeli hippie. <laughs> melanin movers. So, like, that's our new squad. So here we, we got Jimmy McIver. We've got Quinton Blanche. We've got Tommy Bakar. And uh, today we're going to talk about a few concepts and ideas that Jimmy has brought up to us. And just so you get a little bit more background, if you want to know more about Jimmy, Jimmy was on episode number four, which is called Shown, Told, and Experienced. Tommy was on episode number 11, which was Transitioning and Therapy. And Q was on episode number 25, which is entitled The Black Bond. <laughs> Jimmy, tell us a little bit about where you got these ideas, how you know they've been manifesting in your life, and let's start fleshing these things out. Yeah, sure thing. Uh, I guess um, we'll, a little bit of intro with me, uh, Jim McIver, um, affectionately known in the salsa world, Jimmy Sacerito. That was like 20 years of dancing, but now um, I'm into enterprise tech and I'm a big existentialist and just all about human psychology. Unlike my colleagues here, they do the psychology for a living. I use psych human psychology for my career in sales. Socially, listening to a lot of conversations with a lot of my friends, of course, through social media, and I'm, I'm getting a whole new relationship with how I consume and interact with social media, which is part of some of the subject that we're going to discuss. Excuse me, we're going to discuss uh, this evening. Q, mm -hmm. let the people know a little bit about what's been going on in your mind and what you think about these topics. Just an overview. I like these topics. This is deep, especially for the first time I'm meeting you guys. Um, <laughs> I mean, but it needs to be brought up. It needs to be discussed, especially our generation. Um, you know, I'm, my name's Quentin Blanche. Everybody calls me Q. Uh, just released my artist name too. So I'm working on music. I'm an entrepreneur, so I have multiple business endeavors I'm working on. Also a lot of music projects. So my artist name is Quentin Slate. And so just really working on that R&B vibe, acoustic guitar. Um, trying to bring back that old school R&B with a new school vibe in there. So um, I'm super excited about that. And um, I'm always down to just link minds with intelligent people, have discussions, just going through stuff that's not talked about every day, especially in a healthy manner, constructive manner. So um, I'm just here to expand my, uh, my network, make friends, and definitely plug that into um, making a difference in the world. Got big goals for myself, big aspirations, big dreamer, but taking big actions. And uh, I'm super excited as things are opening back up after COVID. So these are going to be some good topics to discuss as we're getting into that. So I'm excited to be here. All right. Thank you, Q. Tomes. What up, weights? Tomes. Uh, <laughs> I am Tomi Bakar, or in Hebrew, Tomi Bachar. Um, I have a doctorate in clinical psychology. I'm also a dancer, which is how I met Flipster. Um, and I guess uh, I am a little bit of a hippie too, as you can see in the background. <laughs> a little uh, bit. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm very excited to discuss all these esoteric and complex topics and uh, see what everybody has to say. All right, so thank you guys for those introductions. So Jimmy, the first thing I have written here is the paradigm of modern women. And then you put it quotes, the red pill cultism. So what does that mean to you as we start to open up this discussion? All right, so that's been a, a dominant conversation among a lot of the social media community and my friends as well. 
So you've got these two different dynamics. Of course, you guys have all seen, especially living here in Miami, so many people think the dating world is so hard, it's so toxic, and it almost seems as though as we're progressing in our culture and our society as modern people, you guys have heard a lot of different things like uh, the modern woman. You know, the modern woman is not the one who is on our old American culture of the housewife, only only purposes for procreation and raising kids and being on the arm. And then you have different shades of men as we grow, as we go into our progressive ideas as, uh, you know, you've got more men embracing their feminine nature and the masculine. We have a lot of men who are um, what people call simps and stuff. And there's a lot of toxicity <laughs> around these conversations. Yeah. Which I wanted to bring up and speak with you intellectual people that I love so much. So this men versus women would be too overarchingly simple if I brought that as a topic. So it's really, there's like this concept of red pill and I call it cultism because in one aspect of it, it's in its root about being, first of all, they say being an alpha male. Honestly, an alpha male is just a man be a fucking man and that's really you don't have to really say i'm alpha to really be that and, and there's a lot of tr what i call truth and how to conduct yourself and your mentality in it and at the same time i'm reading a lot of this is what i would really call toxic masculinity in their way of looking at it and then on the other side this modern woman where women are not to be seen and not heard However, there is a feminine nature and a feminine role. By the way, these are my ideas, not anyone else's. I'm very open in terms of being introduced other perspectives. So I'm not rigid in thinking, but I'll say I'm very, I personally as a progressive individual, I personally for my life, my family, hold on to some traditional ways of uh, masculine and feminine roles as a heteronormative individual. Uh, but this, there's a lot of toxicity around, well, I don't need a man, I don't need this. and. There's just a lot of play against one each other, one one another in these two dynamics. You've got this co a community of men who are looking to be, well, whether I've always known it or I'm trying to aspire to it, I'm that alpha man, and this is what I say, and this is what, and over here, yeah, I'm feminine, I'm this, and I don't need you, but and I can, I can, Tommy can really speak to this as an empathic person. I can hear and feel the pain behind the lies that they're spewing out of their fucking mouths in this in this discussion. So that's like the heat, the the root of it. I, have either of you seen any of these things? Uh, there's a lot of yeah. uh, YouTube. I, I would consider myself a red pill, probably honestly. I am as well. Um, I just, as a free thinking person, I, mean, I reject on. a lot of their shit. <laughs> oh, some, for sure. um, yeah. yeah. Some I think is like, guys, you're doing too fucking much. And there's so much information out there on the internet. There's so many books coming out about this, the relationship between men and women and the way modern times are versus what they were, you know, 50 or 100 years ago, 200 years ago. And I think there's some that's actually healthy, but I can see what you're saying, cultish or it's creating, uh, I guess, even more of a consequence than just letting men and women be men and women who they are versus bettering yourself, knowing who you are, um, setting goals and achieving that, becoming a person of value, and then you can attract a better you know, I guess partner or mate, whatever maybe you're looking for, or you're fine by yourself. Cause that's more the red pill that I come from. Uh, Cause I consider it like the matrix. There's a red pill, there's a blue pill. And then that's I, exactly I got both from. the pills, man, in my life. So I kind of <laughs> that to get to the point where I'm at now. And honestly, I feel very confident in my relationship with women now versus my last few relationships that led to me becoming a red pill. But it's a, it's a whole thing and it's not consolidated on the internet. So you kind of have to start learning for yourself and seeing where you lie in that. Mm -hmm. Hugh, can you, can you elaborate on what 
being a red pill means for you? Because I don't think I understand yet what that concept truly for sure. is. So a lot of guys will say being a red pill is like what Jimmy's saying, being an alpha. Um, you're dominant. You don't let, uh, you're not simping, which is like a blue pill that they just at the beck and call of every single woman. They put women on pedestals. They, they will do anything to get a woman's attention. I mean, kind of like guys that are really about OnlyFans and paying all this money for this woman who they're never going to meet because they just need that female in their life somehow. And they're like at her beck and call versus a red pill is kind of like James Bond. He's kind of, you know, he's independent. He's very driven. He's ambitious. He's definitely good with women, but he's not, he doesn't have to have a woman necessarily. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's kind of like a light basis on red pill. Cause some red pills will tell you stay far away from women, never get married, um, never get in a LTR long distance relation or long-term relationship. Some red pills are I hate to say it, pump and dump, you know, pump <laughs> and dump. some red pills are monks. They never will have sex. They won't engage in that. They'll be more meditative, <laughs> kind of like Jesus Christ. They won't have a woman in their life, but it's yeah. a spiritual decision. And then you have some red pills, like they might get married. They might get an LTR, um, but they know the risk with that and they're willing to take it or not. They're just being who they are as a man. That's more so me as a red pill. Mm -hmm. If you if you rewind just for like the 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 core root, I love to always bring things back to objectivity just for clarification. So the the principle behind like red pill, blue pill, like from the Matrix. So if you watch those first Matrix movies, they say take the red pill or take the blue pill. The blue pill is the one that keeps you in this matrix of reality, the one that we've all been bought into, the one that's pretty much automatic and autopilot. And the red pill is when you take the truth. Your eyes are open to the full truth and you can never go back. So the in the, in the very root of this, what I call red pill cultism is, they subscribe to, this is the truth about women. You can never go back once you learn this. Right. I think it's a very overly embellished and toxic truth. What is They're, the truth? What is their truth about women? Well, the way, the way this is why I want to open up a conversation with all four yeah. of you. Yeah. From what I think that I hear from it is mostly uh, women need to shut the fuck up and men, we are supposed to lead. You don't need to be this type of the sensitivity in your spot. And this is the real truth of it. You need to be a high value man. Love for you as a man is conditional and you need to make sure your life is brings the conditions that will bring love from a woman. And also remember, they're not shit. So you can throw them out. That's the toxicity that I don't agree that is, with. That is toxic. If I can kind of shed a little light, if you haven't seen, I don't know. Have you guys ever heard of, he's a really public figure. I used to hate him the way he came across. Now I'm thinking a little bit different. A guy, Kevin Samuels in Atlanta. Yep. I know um, Kevin Samuels. Oh, yes. Now there's a lot to unpack there in terms of like how you structure your channel and how you monetize, uh, how much engagement that you get. And that's, and there's a rubric of the type of people that he brings on his, his platform which creates a skewed vision of what he's trying to present. But uh, if I was trying to use that as like, hey, have you heard of this guy? Have you seen any of these videos? This is actually probably one of the most principled examples of that subject. We right now, I'm observing a culture of us in our, let's say our millennial and little senior millennial world right now of people who are, men are pitted against women and women are pitted against men in the heteronormative uh, community of dating. And I think that we're getting no fucking way with it. Mm. All right. So Toby, chime well, in on all of this so far. Yeah, I'll, I have more to say about the beginning of what you said, Jimmy, with the 
um, how people define like masculinity and femininity, obviously because I'm more well-versed in like the LGBT and queer realm, even my own assumptions about gender expression and sexuality, all these things have like my ego has been checked over the years as I've dived in more to these topics. And I think my relationship with what I perceive as masculine or what I perceive I should be as feminine, all these different things has changed because I've become more open-minded to the fact that, you know, to be a man, you don't have to be X, Y, and Z, like the stereotypes. And even for me as a woman, this is something I've struggled with my whole life is feeling different than the stereotypical feminine, like hyper-feminine woman. And it's still a journey to accept that sometimes I want to sit with my legs open and burp and do all these non-feminine things. And I have to, I've had to accept the fact that if I want to be accepted, not as hyper-feminine, then I also need to kind of be more flexible with my definition of what a true man is and what I want or what's important for me in a partner. Yeah, I just, that's kind of the general idea around the evolution of how I view these things and, and um, how humbling it has been to meet people in the queer community who are very open about their fluidity in their sexuality. That's even changed the way that I identify uh, my sexuality. And, you know, it's just, it's mind blowing once you really meet these people that don't put a limit on their identity and you realize, wait, why should I be limiting my identity? Even if I don't identify as queer or trans or whatever, you know, we can all kind of play with these, these terms or these identity factors. And it, it frees up a lot of space to be more authentic to yourself and also to figure out more pieces of yourself that maybe you didn't know were there. So that's kind of my angle on it. All right. So I have a few notes here. So to come back around to what an alpha, alpha male is. And I think when we sat down that day when I was in Miami, Jimmy, we even spoke about this alpha male concept. And I think an alpha male is someone, at least a true alpha male, is someone who wants to lift up their tribe. Uh -huh. that they are supposedly the head of it's not well you just stay in your place it's no how can you add value to our tribe and if you can't add value then that's where an alpha male unfortunately has to be decisive and be like well you can't be part of this because as we all know in nature things get real <laughs> and if you're gonna if you're gonna be a detriment to that reality you gotta go <laughs> Right. Mm -hmm. Because if not, the whole tribe might be at, at stake. And, you know, when you're talking about it on that animalistic level of hierarchies and all that stuff. So when I think of an alpha male, I think of somebody who is constantly trying to keep his tribe in the best way they can be so that the tribe has a better chance of succeeding and surviving and thriving. If you want to add that in there. Now, the role of men, men and women throughout history, and I think I may have had this discussion with each of you separately, I have this perspective that we are creatures of adaptation, right? We are creatures that have adapted to our environment and to everything that's been around us for however many thousands of years or hundreds of thousands of years or millions of years that humans have been around. And when I look at human history, the role of men has traditionally been to go off to a war to die. Mm. That's the role of men throughout history. Now, in our Western world, because there are still plenty of places in this world where that is still their role, but in our Western world, we don't have that. 
right? That that's lacking. Yes, we have a military, but there's you know there's no World War II going on. And you know, I live in a military town now. Here, service is very honorable. But now we live in a world, or at least in the Western world, you don't need to go die because we have all this technology that can do that for you. So I am finding, or I, I am observing that, I think the rise of video games is mostly happening for males. And what are the type of games that they're playing? Mostly war games, first person shooters, all these things that our adaptation are telling us we should be doing and feeling, right? We should be going off to go die somewhere. Now, the distinction now is that locking yourself in a room and playing a first-person shooter is not honorable. Where if you go die in an actual war, that's more honorable. Well, I got something to say on that. This is, yes. a, this is, this is not really in the first context of like that subject, but mm -hmm. going inappropriately kind of does tie in. Because mm -hmm. of the emergence of technology and what we get rewarded for in this virtual world of online, People are reward. There's 16 year old kids making two and a half million dollars for playing these exact games <laughs> in esports. There's like it has actually become fiscally irresponsible to have the education that all four of us have gone <laughs> out to do because you can really make a lot of money doing stupid shit on the internet. <laughs> yes, but at the same time, just like what did you call that? You called it an esport. Mm -hmm. Right. How many people are going to be the Tom Brady and LeBron of esports? <laughs> yes, there's going to be a couple, but most people are going to say, oh, well, that's what I'm going to do. And they're going to fail at it like most people do. You know, not everybody makes it to the NBA. Not everybody makes it to the NFL. Not everybody's a top salesperson like, you know, so <laughs> what what not just because it's available doesn't mean it's the best thing for people to do with their time. I agree. It's chemistry too, it's a dopamine addiction. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing is that dopamine is a part of our adaptation. It's there for a reason. You know, when we used to win a war back in the day, when we won World War II, let me tell you, this country was on straight up dopamine, <laughs> right? And, it's the do and that dopamine is what opened the door for the feminism that we are living today, which is where I, I wanted to bring in feminism into this too, because Remember, most of the men went off to die in World War II. So who had to work? Women had to take care of everything. Uh, we can do it. We can do it. <laughs> and, and, and once that narrative shift really took hold, it's like, look, you know, let's say 20 million men didn't make it back. So that's 20 million jobs that are open and you still need things to be made and manufactured, at least in that time in America, right? Mm -hmm. That's when we were beginning to manufacture everything, cars and Everything was here. And that is what I believe gave the rise to what is what? The second wave of feminism that opened the door that women is like, oh, I finally got my taste of, I could do things for myself. I can be, to uh, bring back our podcast, Jimmy, I can be independent. But now that, that word independent is a little, has a little bit of toxicity underneath it when oh. we really break it down. Because as you said in that podcast, independence means you are free from anything else. You are independent. And in this world, we don't want to be by ourselves. We want energy from others. So I like that word that you've said. And again, since that day, I, I, I plant that seed in everybody's mind that it's way better to be self-sufficient than independent. Yeah. Mm. Can I bring it back to that? Because actually, 
at least without having known the background of it, that piece, because I know that you and Tommy have both seen that episode and we did that one, and Hugh, you're, you're right on point because you know this whole subject, is I think this men versus women, this red pill cultism, the modern woman, quote unquote, we've got men who are seeking the condition of being independent of need of women, period, unless they must be objects, like a table that I'm sitting at right now, and the modern woman being independent of all masculinity. And no, self-sufficiency brings the right thing to the table. And mm -hmm. that's, I think that's probably the best way to open that conversation or get perspective, or at least get to where we can stick a flag somewhere that could mm -hmm. be useful for whomever's watching and uh, tuning into this, di uh, not dialogue, because that'd be two people, this conversation among the four of us. Mm -hmm. So I have one more point that I wrote down here. And what mm -hmm. I wrote down here was absolutism. There's very few things in the universe that are absolute. So these hard lines of how a feminine person should be or how a masculine person should be, the universe is always in flux. Mm -hmm. There is no way things are supposed to be. They are the way it is at this moment, which is the only guarantee is now. Mm -hmm. And what are you going to do with now? Because that's the only thing we've got. Yeah. What's your take, you? Mm -hmm. I, I just what I'm hearing you guys say. It's just about it's interdependence, right? Being mm -hmm. able to work with everything, be who yes. you are, put it in the system. Um, mm -hmm. And I feel like the world has just changed so much with the internet and technology. Uh, our ways of getting media now, what we go to, you know, YouTube, all these different social media apps. So you're kind of, it's it's a ballistic of information, always it's a barrage of information. So I think people are confused in who they should be because they're basing it on what they see and what other people are doing. So um, they don't really know how to be interdependent to the point where you can be in a community and work along with that community, men or women alike, or if you're different, transgender, whatever it may be. Um, so I think a lot of people just take the independent approach because they told they're told that's the way to be a good strong woman or a good strong man. I think they think you should be an, an independent. But truly, I haven't done anything without the, I guess, the utilization of a team of other people around me of relationships. It's all I mean nature. We're one with nature, so we're interdependent with nature. Um, but I, I definitely feel that it's hard to know which way to go because there's so much information asking you to do this or do this or become this or be this. So how do you become interdependent when you're not sure? You get to know yourself. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Well, but, but kind of to answer what you just said right there, the issue is that information, we didn't know like in the 80s when the internet was first starting to be toyed with, that information was going to be the thing that was going to burst open. And we don't have that adaptation as humans to understand how to take in infinite amounts of information. Right. When before, you know, you had, like they say back in the day, you had three channels, you, right. you know, you had a few things. And if you really want to go back to the original cable, the original cable was a few people sitting around a fire and <laughs> just discussing. <laughs> that was, that was the news of the day. Right. So you, you and back then the, the person telling the news was probably the shaman or whoever the, the chief, whoever was the storyteller True. of the tribe. So you didn't have to take in, oh, I got to hear from that tribe and that tribe and that tribe. And, that. and, you know, there's there's just too much now for what we have been able to adapt to to this point. I don't know what the universe is going to do with all of this. I don't know if maybe, you know, Elon Musk was brought here by God, the universe, whatever you want to call it, to create Neuralink so that we could start, 
taking all this information in, but I don't know how it's all going to end up. Now with that, if you have any closing statements on this first thing, so we can start going on to the next concept. Jimmy, anything to wrap this one up just to plant some seeds in the people? Yeah, yeah, sure. That subject has a lot to unpack, but if I could give my own where I stick my flag in the ground with what I believe I know now is take what you will from what the positive parts of being a modern woman is for your life. Take the most effective parts of what being an alpha male, uh, red pill student or follower is and mix in a little dash of interdependence and you actually just brought, you just opened my eyes to that new concept I never thought of, Q. Interdependence, self-sufficiency. You know, I, I, um, I've been friends with Tommy and you Flip for a long time and you both have heard me say, you know, people look at relationships 50 and 50. I say, make it 100-100. That means if somebody's falling off a little bit, we're still over 100% full, not lacking anything. Take some, take a little sprinkle of interdependence and self-sufficiency. So you bring something valuable to that table and grow. Q. I mean, I was thinking about it the other day because I write a lot of R&B music. It's all love songs or maybe it's a breakup song or maybe it's like a hookup song or maybe it's, you know, whatever it is. And I was just thinking, um, I went to an event maybe a week and a half ago and at the majority of the event in the beginning, it was all guys. And I was cool with that because it was an entrepreneurial event. Then a couple girls showed up and then you just kind of realize like there's different energy in the room. There's a different life in the room. And I was just thinking to myself, I couldn't write the music the way I do or express myself the way I do if women didn't exist in this world. I just wouldn't <laughs> have as much drive like i'm not gonna write like jimmy you are you know good looking brother but i'm not gonna write a love song. <laughs> <laughs> not gonna do it you know so i think there's a place for men and women in the world just politically the world when it comes to the dynamics of how things are changing so fast and rapid it makes it hard to know like you know how, how do i be in a relationship with a woman if i wanted to be and make it right and she could be in a relationship with me because i think Men and women bring something to the table that needs to be here. I hope that we can kind of find that out in the dynamics of our relationship. And as we're building that men and women or whatever you choose. Um, so I don't think that toxic red pill is the answer. I think being aware of yourself is more so the answer. That's what I, that's right. what I would say. And I'll oh, add one last like quick thing just to kind of hop off of that. I think knowing yourself and realizing what you want is the, the starting point. But once you are in a dynamic with a person in a relationship, it's a never ending learning experience to figure out the other person and what both of you want and what the relationship needs. So, you know, what I've learned recently is just communication as cliche as it is, like it's a constant thing, like talking about hour to hour, day to day, really getting down mm -hmm. to the nitty gritty and realizing like, Hey, I did this thing X, Y, and Z. You did it this way. Can we talk about how we handled that situation? And through that discussion and that communication, you get to know what you want, what your partner wants, and what how to kind of meet in the middle. I think that it's yep. it's a never-ending conversation. Yep, never-ending. I would 100% agree. Yep. And that's, that's what keeps you learning. And learning is what keeps your mind young. Let's, let's transition into this next one. And before we even transition, I'm going to tell you guys me a little story. When I was in London at the Five Star Mambo Congress with Shaka Brown, we were staying with our friend, uh, Danny Kerwin. And uh, I forgot what I was saying. We were talking about something and she just turns to me and says, Flip, you're so infuriatingly positive. And then the rest of the room 
you know, took up sides with her. They're like, oh my God, nobody's ever said it like that, but that is so true. And now, two years ago for Christmas, I was at a, uh, a Christmas party with some friends and we were playing the board game Settlers of Catan. Oh no, we weren't playing that. We were playing that meme game where you have to pick a card and everybody has to decide what that card is like. And in that group, I got the card annoyingly happy all the time. <laughs> so, 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 so at that point, I had to tell myself, okay, two different groups of people on opposite sides of the world are kind of telling me the same thing. And that's what I want to tie into this question here that you put up for us, Jimmy, and that is toxic positivity versus healthy optimism. So when you write that, what does that mean for you? Hmm. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this is this is one that came to me on a weird night. I remember, and both of you probably could remember as well, I've had some movements in my life where I would call like, I know I still call myself a delusional optimistic. That's helped me stay alive. Like I delusionally believe in what doesn't exist and I just believe it's gonna happen and I keep going that way. Now, what I call toxic positivity is what I'm starting to see from other people, but it makes me remember how I was. Like I remember when, back when I was in New Orleans and I discovered being vegan and I, and I was just on a fucking crusade on, you better be vegan, guys. Or, or like, hey, is it, yo, you don't really eat like, right like that? Or I remember when I first discovered personal development in 2012. I would trivialize real clinical things that people had. I thought because in my life, all oh, my depression was based on my inaction. So that must be true for everyone else. Completely trivializing that other people have real anxiety, real depression, real whatever, based on several factors other than what I what was real for me. And I started to see this a lot in, uh, in my career. I've been in um, technology sales. I've been in sales literally over 11 years. And there's this real competitive hustle culture we have. And like I do like closing deals, I'm not excited about it at all. I'm like, dude, that's what we were hired for. And so I feel like the positivity is, how many times, raise your hand if you're in this room, if you've fallen off of your gym schedule ever? Yeah. Right. And then you've got your gym friends or your friends that are trainers, which I've been a cycling trainer since like, what, 2013? Uh, well, all you got to do is you just got to take action. You got to figure it out. You got to like, bro, I got shit going on in my life right now. That's not an excuse, but it is a reason for which I don't behave in a way that I did six months ago. Give me a fucking break. That's what I call toxic positivity versus when I had to, I actually was able to refine how I navigate the world with what I call now healthy optimism because I was, I become on the receiving end of other people. They find out what works for them and they're just so gung ho about it. Uh, for example, uh, I saw a really funny meme on Instagram recently. I sent it to all of my friends, especially my other friends that deal in trading and stuff. They say the Forex people are like the Jehovah's Witnesses social media. <laughs> I can if I can show you right now how many messages I have from people on Instagram uh, trying to say, hey, do you like financial freedom? Are you sure? You know, like, oh, is the most expensive thing to have. Bitch, I've been trading oh, for several years right now. You don't know this. But I understand that their positivity about it is because they found something that were. I had to tell a girl, I already do this. Thank you. I got a group of guys I trade with. By the way, I don't want to retire from my job. I love doing enterprise sales. I love, I love getting up and doing it because I'm not, I'm in it for the money. Like we all are, we don't clock in for our health, but I have a way of 
the reason why you opened your business for that freedom, I'm selling you something that's going to help that and scale it. I love doing it. I don't want to retire myself from that. So I started to find out the different. I actually saw what I was doing years ago because I've become on the receiving end of it in the last year or two. So what do you guys feel about the What is your experience? Have you guys ever been on the, the, the sending or receiving end on either one of those? What do, what do you guys think? You take it next. Man, that's, I mean, I think there is a such thing as being so positive. It's just obnoxious to the mm -hmm. point where it's really not actually positive. It's creating more of a detriment instead. But I also feel that I think there's some wisdom in being a realist and an optimistic person. I heard from one of my favorite guys I listened to as far as personal development, because you brought that up, Jimmy. His name's Jim Rohn. And he said, what are your white oh, blood Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. He about the book called The Richest Man in Babylon. He went and got That's my favorite book in the world. That's, That's Georgian that Yeah, Georgian mm -hmm. Clayton, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. but he just said, you know, what do your white blood cells think all day long? And they think infection. So they're thinking about negativity to protect you, you know, but you can be positive. But if there's no real belief with that, if there's no real expectation or intention, because I've had hard days or I felt more depressed or, you know, I didn't work out. I didn't work out for weeks or something like that or business mm -hmm. things went south. Um, I think that's where optimism comes into play, positive thinking, because there is power in positive thinking. So not staying in your soak, knowing it's a real thing. Like, I mean, I don't write a breakup song because it's a happy thing. It's supposed to be something that can relate to others because we've all been through it. You know, yeah. it's a way for me to express myself. So taking a negative and making it positive is an optimistic way of looking at it, in my opinion. So I'd say there's definitely power in positive thinking. Thoughts are things. So there's power and positive thinking but i also think these people are like oh my gosh you know hey just just think positive no how about you just really ask me where i'm at and relate and try your best to hear me out and then i'll feel better through my depression than you just telling me to go read some damn book on positivity uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. i mean it, it takes right. determinant it takes in this world today it takes the ability to decide for yourself how you're going to approach your life uh, but I would say, like the, my, my healthy optimism where I'll stake it. So, cause I want to hear from, uh, you, uh, Tony and flip since I've been on the receiving end of the, what I call the toxic side. Now that's how I navigate it for other people in my relationship with them is yeah, I had a shit day today. Well, I actually, if I'm gonna be honest, I live below my standards and what it was and is cause and effect. You know, you know me flip. I don't believe in right and wrong and good and bad, effective and ineffective. All right, to be honest, I live below my standards and I did A, B, and C, and that led to this shit that I have. And I know tomorrow I can do the opposite of that and have the best life ever. But tell me what's your... Yeah. Well, I think as with most topics, this is very nuanced. But one thing that comes to mind is that it's, it's not about um, the tool itself, but it's how you use the tool. So I think you kind of touched on this where you know, is it good to think positive or is it bad? It's about how you're using it and what your intention is at the time. You know, if you have a very kind of treatment resistant biological depression, as we call it, people who really have like biological depression, it's genetic, they have it from a young age and it's hard to treat, yeah. telling them to go, you know, do affirmations and think positively is not really going to be the thing that works. Yeah. But if you're somebody that's generally mentally healthy, and you're just having like a shitty couple of weeks and you want to think positively and motivate yourself, you know, that might be the thing that gets you to a better place. So it's a very nuanced and complex um, discussion, but I really think it depends on 
what you're trying to work on in your life, whether it's a serious mental illness or if it's just like, I just need a little bit of encouragement and support from my friends and family, or is it a career decision? Like I think you have to treat the issue or the topic based on, or you, you have different treatments based on what the issue is. So uh, I don't, I would need like a more specific thing to, to kind of comment more specifically. You guys already know I'm positive AF. Annoyingly positive? Is that, is that annoyingly positive? <laughs> and again, two different groups from two different sides of the world. After I got the second one, I actually did take a step back and be like, okay, what is the universe trying to tell me? Is it possible that either A, people are depressed themselves and so seeing you that way is threatening to them or B, that maybe it's not as relatable because most people aren't so happy all the time. So maybe they're like, man, fuck this guy. Like, who's this guy? I don't, I don't, I'm not like all the time. <laughs> the thing is that I don't think that I'm happy all the time. I think I'm neutral most of the time. My ass, you were neutral all the time. <laughs> well, maybe well, emotionally I, he's neutral, but yeah, he presents been, very enthusiastically. I think there's a difference there. Your mood and your the way you present and engage with people are two different things. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your physiology is it physiology? Physiolo- the way you your body, you're smiling, you're just kind of mm-hmm. creating that environment within yourself to be more positive. And then what you do over time consistently becomes habit. So if you're more positive you'll probably be more positive than the average person if they're always sulking in whatever their challenges are. So yeah, Flip is, I mean, Flip has been positive since I met him, since he's come to Colorado. Right. I, I mean, it's a leadership thing. Of course, I know you're human, but I definitely would say, yeah, you are infuriatingly freaking positive, Flip. I hear you, man. I don't want to be around people that are always pissed or sad, but I understand that's just the natural human thing too sometimes. It just happens that way. I've spoken with all three of you. We've had good discussions. I still feel that I operate from a place of trying to have the most logic, not the most happiness. Yeah. It's like, what's the most logic? But to your point, I try to practice being positive so that it becomes my habit. And something you said earlier made me think of our episode, Jimmy. And, you know, how many people are going through this just because of the whole shown told versus experience you know maybe some people have never experienced what it's like to be happy you know if you're growing up with parents that are unhappy and you know this line of of family pathology of unhappiness which can go on for generations how can you be when you've never experienced it yeah maybe you've been shown maybe you've been told to be positive but there's no experience there to connect all the way Uh, I believe experiences are very often generated by being shown. This is the reason why we read books. This is the reason why we read documentaries. This is the reason why we go to school. I didn't go outside and fly a kite and discover that, hey, I can do electricity, but I was read. I read in a book that that happened, and this is how I take an experience to learn it. That's a super simplified thing, but let's say in in a realm of personal development. In 2012, I never never experienced what it felt like. I never experienced the joy of taking responsibility for the causation of my actions and enjoying the effect of more effective actions. But I read and I was told or shown 
That's the reason why we have mentors told or shown these are the effects of. Uh, sorry, there's fireworks happening outside. If you guys heard, <laughs> it's like, it's like, yeah, um, I heard that, that thunder. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's man, not, it's boring just, over there. It, no, it's no, no. It's Miami. Uh, it's, yeah, Miami. it's Miami. It doesn't even it's need Miami. to be a holiday. There's just fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but listening. To, my first program was uh, my friend, actually a coach. He's a coach for years for me, and now we're friends. Jason Herrera. He's up in uh, Orlando. <laughs> Tony Robbins, get the edge. I never experienced what the joy has been, could be more effective actions leading to the effects of a more fulfilling life. But I started and tried and I, now I have the experience. See, kind of like one thing I read or not read, but I heard like Will Smith say, we could either live at cause or in effect. Cause, because I do those things. The reason why I needed to have that program is because I could not experience that before, didn't know what it looked like. You gotta yeah. do something, you have to act. It's a good way to put it. Like you didn't know what the experience is like, so how how would you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. If, if um, if our if the sum total of our learning is our own experiences, independent of anything else, mm -hmm. that is our own bubbles. That's why everyone lives in all these bubbles. People in different countries, states, social circles. That's why we see things in social media, television, books, and whatever. Another perspective we could be shown and told without actually taking action to have the experience. Ask me your question one more time, Flip. The uh, podcast I did with Jimmy that was called Shown, Told, and Experienced. And how are people that have never experienced something, if they've only experienced a negative mindset or negative attachment, how is it that we can get them to experience and more importantly, understand that experience of something else so that they can grow and realize, oh, there's more than this uh, allegory of the cave that I'm living in. I would say they first, they, there's a few different things they can do to get themselves hopefully have that experience or visualize it or create a mental image. But I think people, I don't think we teach it in school, period, but we need to know how our mind actually works. We need to know how to supplant an idea and that through repetition, the subconscious mind, paradigms, the environment we're brought up in, we have to become more aware of ourselves and why we are the way we are, why we think the way we think, why we talk the way we talk, how we act. I mean, for me, I was, you know, I'm born and raised in Colorado. I had three black friends growing up for like majority of my upbringing. I was one of my black friends, man. <laughs> well, when I go see my cousins in Louisiana, they call me the proper kid. They have a country twang. They talk different, so they call me proper. But it was an environment I was brought up in, you know? So how do I know what it's like to sound country or be more country when I wasn't brought up in that environment? I mean, I didn't experience racism and like obviously until I was in my teens and uh, it was with a cop. And, and the crazy thing is I have a, a black father who's a cop. So that creates all these different perspectives in my life. So how do I, I mean, like Jimmy was saying, we're the sum of our thoughts and what we've learned and our experience and we create this mental environment. So you have to give somebody I guess a little bit of an access to a whole different environment, what it could be like for them to start having different mental ideas to even become that person, become positive that they've been more pessimistic or cynical in their past. They've got to even, they have to come to a belief where that could be possible. Um, I mean, if you want a great car, you should just go to the dealership and get in the car because now you've got that car experience and you create that environment. So if I want to be positive, I need to put myself around positive people. I need to write it down and start that process. I mean, it's, it's, it's easier said than done on this topic for sure. But you've got to become self-aware, 
and get yourself around the type of people that you want to be, I think take a pen and paper and start writing. Who would I be if I was the ideal version of myself? What characteristics would I have? How would I live? How would I dress? How would I act? And that's why I have a lot of confidence in myself. I'm not perfect. I definitely have insecurities like any human, but I certainly know what the heck I want and where I'm going. But that came from working on my environment for freaking years. And some people just don't know you can. So hopefully they can meet somebody who can teach them how to start that process or a book that can teach them that process. And Tommy, as a doctor in psychology, that's kind of what you help people do. It's realize, okay, this is where I'm at. Mm -hmm. This is where I want to go. And you try to help them bridge that gap. So what can insight can you give us on that? Well, I think you guys covered a lot of my similar ideas on the topic, but with specifically with psychotherapy, you know, it's just one aspect of how you learn about yourself and the way that I facilitate that is really getting to know people, you know, like I'm getting to know them and then I mirror to them what I'm seeing. And sometimes even just through that process, they're like, wait, I didn't realize that about myself or I didn't know that I was coming off this way. Just through that introspection insight, people suddenly realize what they want. Um, and I'm, I'm in my own psychotherapy weekly now. And that has been mind blowing and humbling to just a whole other extent because it's, it's, we really underestimate the power of both expressing outwardly ideas, kind of like what we're doing right now. I'm sure some of us will learn something that we didn't realize that we knew or thought, you know, just through verbalizing it. Um, but then receiving feedback from somebody that's tailoring that feedback specifically for you and your psychology and your background and family it's just it's priceless i mean it's 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 an experience that's so tailored to you as an individual i don't know how often we get that unless we have family or friends that really take that time to specifically give us feedback and tell us the harsh truths about us we really don't get to know ourselves um unless we go to certain personal development you know, events and things of that nature. Um, but this is with obviously a professional, someone who, who knows how to analyze and ask the right questions to be able to lead you to these insights and awarenesses. So, I mean, I'm obviously a big proponent for therapy, but in general, as a human being, just as a person, what I do in my life is I go put myself in uncomfortable, different social environments and a variety of different events and activities to be able to stimulate different things and learn like, oh, what is it like to do this thing that I would probably never do and realize like, oh, wow, I kind of like it or, oh, wow, I know I'm never going to want to do that again. And even that's information. So I'm really a big advocate for experiencing diverse things and activities and getting to know different people so that you nail down what you like and want. I like, you said stimulate. I like that. Stimulate something in a person so they can begin that journey. It's like planting a seed and boom. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. and I will say that most of my patients come in reporting that they feel lost, confused, and don't know who they are. In order to know who you are, you need to somehow get stimulated and start getting passionate about something. I mean, for those of us that were privileged to have upbringings and parents that were able to put us in certain sports or music activities, things of that nature, 
we got stimulated from a young age and we're able to pin start pinpointing like, oh, this is what I'm passionate about. This is what lights my fire. But for a lot of my patients, they didn't have that privilege. And so it, it is about kind of doing what some of these parents didn't do for them at a young age and not exposing them to different cultures and environments and activities. So what I'm hearing to round this part out is basically that Nietzsche quote, if you want to get somewhere away from where you are now, your why needs to be able to endure anyhow. Mm-hmm. For sure. I like that language. Transition to the next one we are going into. And this is one that I know I need to work on a whole lot. And Jimmy reminded me of that when we met the other day. And this <laughs> is the power of listening. I I actually learned that a lot from my friendship with Tommy before uh, being and actually helped me in my career uh, as a salesperson. Now, a lot of people said you're a natural salesperson. I have the gift of gab of an animated way of speaking. But really, how you make real money selling is by listening. Oh, for sure. How you get your friends to even like fucking hanging out with you is by listening. (laughs) So this whole topic, I'm just going to have is not a sponsored like a uh, you know how like a lot of YouTube videos are like a sponsor. This is the ad here. But I'm gonna make an ad for this human right here. I learned listening is one of the most powerful interpersonal things. Man, listening is a superpower, honestly. If you really have active listening, I I mean, I'm not going to say I'm perfect, but I think I'm a pretty great listener because in my line of business, I meet people all the time. So I'll get their name and ask them where they're from. What do you love to do? Uh, Talk about sports. And as I'm listening, I'm really listening and I start to end up mirroring them. They'll say, oh, yeah, like I'm, you know, I'm from the East Coast. It's like, oh, dope, the East Coast. I just kind of repeat it back to them so they know I'm listening. And people kind of start to just feel comfortable, like to the point where I might meet you for the first time, but in five, 10 minutes, you might feel like you've known me your whole life. That's, it's, I mean, I do it for my business because, of course, I have goals. I want to find the right people to work with in business, have clients. But at the same point, most people don't freaking listen. I know I'll be starting to tell. And what was hard for me initially, because I joined Toastmasters, get better at speaking. I then really just for me to be able to express my thoughts more with clarity, with more certainty, because I had a hard time when I listened so much. Somebody's asked me, all right, so what do you like about this? And I'm like, shoot, I stumble over my words. I look up, I look down. I just had the hardest time talking because I was so much better at listening and letting you tell me everything. And I've gotten a little bit better at that to the point where I I can listen with someone actively. They have this great rapport with me. And then I can kind of throw in how I'm really feeling, exactly how I'm verbalizing in my mind to the point where I can verbalize it to you exactly as I'm hearing it in my head, you know? And that's taken me freaking years because I think I did more better on the active listening side than even explaining who I am. But then I've done that plenty where I start explaining who I am and they're looking away, they're in their phone, they look down, they're looking at the cute girl that walks in and I'm like, you're not really listening, you're not really listening. You know, and I could just tell. And I'd say from my interactions on a day-to-day basis, 90% of people are really not that great at listening at all. It's so distracted. Uh-huh. Then you've got social media on your phone. You've got your computer. You've got the TV. You've got stuff going on. So it takes discipline and intention to sit down and give somebody your eye contact and then mirror them. So when they sit back, you kind of sit back. And after I do it for a while, I'll sit up. They sit up. And then I know, okay. <laughs> you know, um, if people listen better, I think the world would be a better place. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the interesting thing is that 
this has been a very natural, I guess you'll call it a talent or a skill for me ever since I was a little girl. And I think it came from a combination of things. You know, I have a father who, those of you that know me know he's a kind of a military hypersecurity guy and he views the world in a very kind of dangerous lens. And so there's been this hyper vigilance on my end from a young age in, in the sense of observing the world, like always be aware of your surroundings, always observe. So I think that lends itself to me just paying attention, which in reality is what listening is. It's just pay attention to people, pay attention to your environment. And that connects with mindfulness, which I think cue to connect to what you were saying People, when, when you're talking to a person and they're not really paying attention, I think half the time is because they don't know the skill of being present and being mindful. I think some people are so in their heads, whether it's because of anxiety or because they're thinking about social media or they're on their, whatever it is. I think just the skill of mindfulness is missing on a huge scale in our society. It's so funny how even in my sessions with my patients, I might be mindful and I'm listening, but some sometimes they might be in their heads and not paying attention. And it's a big skill for me to identify that in them for me to be able to ground them and bring them back to the moment. So this is, I mean, Q, I, I totally resonate with what you said about dealing with people and you could just tell they're not listening to you and, and they're not in the moment. And I really think there is a, a big you know, thing with mindfulness there. Um, and then the other thing that I'll take back to my childhood, you know, mixed with having a father like that, but also I think I just had a very curious nature ever since I was a little girl. I was just very curious to learn about people. And I think that's something that also, if you don't have that naturally, if you don't really care about people, if you don't really want to learn about different cultures or, or how other people function, you're probably not going to really have room in your mind to want to listen to people. So being curious and really wanting to get to know somebody just for that aspect, just for the aspect of like, how does this person's mind function and what have their experience experiences been like? That's another thing that helps you pay attention is if you're genuinely authentically interested in that. Be genuinely interested in other people, they'll become genuinely interested. So I will say that I was the opposite of Q and that as I was growing up, I was always the person who was talking too much (laughs) <laughs> and now the universe has gifted me with a son that is exactly the way that I was at that age. So every time I hang out with my son, all I want to tell him is, dude, shut, shut the fuck up. You're talking too much. And I know that I was like that. So, and it's taken me a lot of awareness, a lot, a lot, a lot of awareness, a lot of practice to learn how to listen better and to be an active listener and shut up and just stop assuming and trying to tell everybody, well, what I think is right and you should listen to me. That took me a while. And it was our friend, our mutual friend, Shaka Brown, who brought it to my face and was like, dude, you need to learn how to just be quiet. And you know, I appreciated him for telling me that. And there's other people in my life who have also, you know, when I, when I start to tend towards that, towards that old habit they're like hey bring it back and I'm like (laughs) thank you so you know that is something that I know I've been working on forever and I say it at memoirs it's one of the reason I created memoirs and memoirs there's no Q&A there's no nothing there's just listening Mm. that's it (laughs) right and one of the things I say during memoirs or I said it last time was I created this event because we all have two ears and one mouth we should be listening twice as much as we're talking. And sure. here, I get to sit down, I get to talk a little bit because I host 
<laughs> but once it's time for the story to start, I sit down, shut up, and just be present. And I love it, right? What you know, they obviously haven't been to memoirs, but they know from an event in Miami that was called a raw storytelling. But what do you think having events like that does for a community? And I'll let you guys expand on that.